Hello, and welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service and various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Foman with us. He is the Chief of Dermatology at the Fort Riley Irwin Army Community Hospital. I know quite a few people have been interested in dermatology and I don't really want to give away all the good details he would have to share without actually having the conversation ourselves. So without further ado, welcome Dr. Foman. How are you? I uh, couldn't be better. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Fantastic. I'm glad you were able to talk to me on such short notice since we had quite a few uh, hiccups in getting the scheduling. You said you were out in the field recently and that was, we kind of had radio silence. Yep. Thus, uh, being an army physician does some strange things. <laughs> that could be, I guess, either good or bad, depending on who you ask. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. All right. So we always start out the interview with just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to medical school, if you have any family, you're free to talk about that, so where you went to residency, all that good stuff. Fill us in. Sure thing. So uh, I was both a latecomer to medicine and to dermatology. I uh, didn't decide until late in junior year of undergrad to become a physician. Um, Ended up going to Campbell University School of Osteopathic Medicine, was part of the inaugural class there, had a great time. Um, and again, wasn't a, didn't plan on doing dermatology until uh, late in third year of uh, med school. So it's kind of a theme of my life, I guess. But uh, ended up going to residency at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Uh, they got a great derm program there. Uh, and then right after that was immediately picked up for the chief position here at uh, Irwin Army Community Hospital. Um, I am married to a beautiful wife of, let's see, at this point, 10 years, and uh, we got a fourth kid on the way next month. All right. Wow. You did a huge jump in uh, responsibility relatively quick after residency, yeah? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm one of those moderations for cowards kind of guys. You just jump right in and, and do it to it. Fair enough. All right. So, so tell me a little bit about uh, the residency program at Walter Reed. So you, you started over there and I don't know anything about dermatology training to be fair, since I I've been interested in anesthesia. So this is a little bit different for me. Uh, do you want to walk us through kind of like the process, how you matched and uh, maybe a little bit more about the program while you were there? Yeah, sure. So uh, for me, you know, in med school, just like everybody else, we get a two week block of like optoderm and ENT. Uh, and so it's not all two weeks of derm. And basically for us, it was like, you know, a couple of lectures. My impression of dermatology was it was for the really smart nerdy guys in my class or the really pretty girls who just wanted to do nose jobs on people. Um, I personally wanted to do uh, neurosurgery, endovascular neurosurgery. That was where I wanted to go. And that's what I was teed up to do. Um, dad's a neurologist and I had a huge interest in the neurosciences. And uh, a couple of my mentors, uh, I had sat down with them. One was, you know, on his second marriage and hadn't taken a vacation in 11 years. The other one, um, it was funny. I sat him down on a Monday morning at 7 a.m. And we're talking, asking him how it's going. He said, man, what day is it? Well, it's, it's Monday. And uh, he said, well, I got on call Wednesday afternoon. I've been in the OR ever since. I think I've gotten seven hours of sleep total. And uh, I realized that uh, my love of the neurosciences and uh, kind of that pathology was not so great that that's the lifestyle I wanted to lead. Uh, I want to 
you know, be there for my wife, want a big family and, uh, didn't think it was fair for me to pursue that kind of lifestyle with them, but I was still interested in kind of a, a small medical field that was highly specialized while being broad at the same time. And that was very esoteric that no one knew, knew anything about. I wanted that, uh, sort of expertise. Um, and I'm not dogging on primary care. I love primary care. Uh, it's one of the aspects of dermatology I love, but everybody knows how to manage high blood pressure. Um, you start talking about, you know, uh, glioblastomas, nobody knows how to manage that except for, you know, some specialized oncologists and neurosurgeons. So same thing in the skin. I was looking for that field that I could just fit in where no one knew anything about, and I could just do my own thing. Uh, so on my neurology rotation, I ended up working with a guy who became a neurologist before the advent of modern medical imaging. So his physical exam was on point and he did a basic skin and mucosal exam for almost all his patients. And we were diagnosing all these weird diseases based off of these uh, skin findings. So for instance, uh, gouty tophi, most common location is in the ear. And so we actually uh, got clued into spinal gout from this guy who was having radiculopathies because he had gouty tophi of the ear. Hmm. Um, saw this very, very rare condition called Voigt Harada Koyanagi syndrome. And the clinical clue was a white stripe of hair that traverses the beard, the mustache, the eyebrow, the eyelashes, and the scalp. Uh, and it's one of these, um, like neurocutaneous, uh, uveal meningeal kind of inflammatory things. Uh, so a lot of really cool stuff and using the skin to kind of see into the body, uh, piqued my interest. And I said, maybe this isn't just nose jobs and Botox. And so, uh, fell in love with dermatology because it is that small field, but it's very broad. You take care of neonates all the way to geriatrics, everyone in between. You have your acute care stuff, uh, your, you know, dermatologic emergencies. Uh, you see a lot of derm in ICU. Uh, you're kind of the diagnostician, the doctor's doctor, much like radiology or pathology in that regards. Um, you get to do very cool surgeries, uh, very like the coolest, of cool medicine. You get to do a lot of autoimmune stuff and you get to help a lot of patients. I've diagnosed cancer of every single organ system, merely from the skin at this point in time, um, and, uh, have done it in, you know, multiple kind of age subsets. And anyway, reading into that, I fell in love. So the match process for me started very late. Um, it's a very competitive field. So if you don't have research or a decently high board score, it doesn't have to be the highest in the world, your chances are a little slim. So ideally you would start early in med school, finding a resident of a program you're interested in and just letting them know, Hey, I'm interested. You got a case report I can write up for you or anything like that. In the military in particular, uh, army, we've got two programs. Navy has two programs. Air force has one. Just make sure you rotate up all of them for your specialty or for your branch rather. And when you do so, it's kind of good med student 101 show up, ask how you can ace the rotation and then execute and perform and constantly seek feedback and be involved and, uh, and just work. Um, most fields when you're interviewing, uh, they just want to make sure you're a, not a sociopath. So it helps to not be that <laughs> and b you're a hard worker who's interested in learning. Um, you know, looking back, uh, I was very fortunate to have people that were like, yeah, just write something up and I'll put my name on it for you. Um, and then I showed up at a kind of off cycle month to do my audition rotation. And that behooved me. Well, I got really good, uh, 
time with a lot of the residents there and uh, ended up becoming really good friends with a lot of them. And so I think that helped. And then uh, seek out conferences. So, and that's for all specialties really, but for dermatology, you know, uh, annual American Academy of Dermatology meeting, they got the Pediatric Derm Society. You got all these um, conferences that a lot of the military guys go to, just find them, go there, meet them and be assertive and not a sociopath and chances are good. Derm itself is a four-year residency and it covers all aspects of dermatology. Um, I initially thought I wanted to go to the San Antonio program uh, because I don't like the East Coast that much. Uh, during my years, uh, I'm sure this has changed since then, but during my years, uh, it was just, in my opinion, the better program. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not a good program now. It's just for me and my situation, it was the better program at the time. Uh, so that's why I chose that one instead of San Antonio. It's a uh, Walter Reed's program is great. Um, like all things with DHA takeover uh, of medicine in the military, it's going undergoing some changes, but it's still a solid group of uh, people there. It's got name recognition. You work closely with the National Institutes of Health. So when I first started uh, before this whole COVID stuff, we would do weekly grand rounds with NIH. Um, they've moved away from that a little bit, but it's still very heavily involved there. You get the chance to rotate at the NIH and see some of the most rare skin conditions that you probably will never see in your life again. Um, they've got a very high volume surgical program to include lasers, basic cosmetics, Mohs surgery, uh, all that jazz. Um, and the clinic is very well run there. Facilities are great. DC, you either hate it or love it. Uh, I was very happy to leave uh, for Kansas, but uh, it's, it's a decent place. Uh, and you, you get out of it what you put in just like any other place. Absolutely. That was, whoa, a lot of information. That's great information too. Um, I do want to backtrack and ask a little questions first at kind of like that fourth year med student, third year med student level. Then of course, some quest questions about the residency. And then I definitely want to talk about what attending hood looks like for you. Sure. So first, first one I want to ask about is, um, so medical students, like, like you said, this kind of applies to all specialties is, you know, showing up, not being a sociopath and uh, like generally speaking, being a hard worker because nobody expects you to truly know everything. Otherwise, the residency wouldn't exist. Um, mm -hmm. However, some of the things that make us kind of competitive, you had mentioned the board scores and, you know, it, you don't need to have the highest board scores in the world, in the world, but you do need competitive scores. Some of the the, the bigger questions, I guess, that's the osteopathic students will definitely have is should I take step one and step two? Yeah, the um, reach out to whatever program you want to go to and ask the program director directly. Um, for Walter Reed, absolutely not necessary. Uh, when I was there, a third of all the residents were DOs. Uh, the program directors are very, quote unquote, DO friendly. I mean, the whole military is nowadays, with the exception of some specialties. Um, San Antonio is the same thing. They didn't really care if you're DO. All they care about is uh, kind of the percentage of your board scores, where you fit in kind of that curve. Are you, you know, top 20%? That's great. Are you, you know, bottom 10%? Uh, not so great. But uh, yeah, that and uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't sweat taking step one unless you want to, because if you don't do well on step one, they're going to see that. And Comlex is what we're training for. So just focus on that and absolutely crush it. Alternatively, let's say you don't do very well on uh, level one, then you have a chance of sorts to redeem yourself if you take step one, if you study really hard and crush that one. So you got to think about it for your situation. Bra uh, bread and butter answer. No, don't sweat it. But 
it could be helpful. Okay. Um, in line with that, you know, especially these more competitive specialties like dermatology, um, research, uh, I, I know it's always good to have research, but how imperative is it to have research as a part of the application? Do you think? Yes. So for those that don't know, um, when you are getting evaluated for residency, there is a standard GME scoring sheet for every applicant, and you can get a maximum of two points for research. A peer-reviewed journal article with your name on it, you do not have to be first author. It does not have to be in the specialty you want. Any peer-reviewed article out there anywhere with your name on it, that's one point. A poster presentation, I think, is half a point. At least it was a couple of years ago. I haven't looked at it for obvious reasons in a couple of years. But not having the research uh, on a practical side shows like, hey, man, you're applying to a competitive specialty and you don't have research. Do you even kind of think these things through? Uh, what gives? Now, someone <laughs> yeah. may have a good excuse. Hey, like, you know, my wife and I popped out 20 kids during residency or med school. I didn't have time. Like, okay, fine. Uh, but for the majority of us mere mortals, yeah, you should have some research. And it's just going to boost your score. So if someone else is equally as qualified as you, same exact board score, you know, same exact rotation scores, uh, but they've got one publication and you have zero and you're both similar personalities, whatever, they're going to go with that guy because he's got the more points. So absolutely. I, I would say uh, if you're not doing research, you better have a very good reason for not doing it in these competitive fields. Okay. Um, so along those lines, dicing out maybe a, a little more the the specifics there, uh, does the research only count during the time that somebody was in within med school or does their undergraduate research count for anything? Do you think? I, I don't know. I think from what I remember and, you know, my memory might not serve me as well now, but I think it was uh, medical school research. Uh, okay. And from a program director standpoint, they like to see you publishing in their field because they want to see, especially if it's a competitive field, neurosurge, uh, ENT, derm, plastic, something like that. They want to mm -hmm. see that you have interest in that field and that you're capable of producing in that field because they're going to expect you to do it in residency. That makes sense, especially in a field like dermatology. From my understanding, is extremely basic science heavy. Uh, yes, it is. Very much so. Uh, so next going along with that, um, we'll kind of step away from med student because I think those are the always the two big questions that med students have is the board scores and then research and then everything else is just performing during rotations, which like we already talked about, a lot of it's just common sense, be a good person, be a hard worker. So in residency, um, your experience in residency, what did that look like, say, for your first year versus your uh, third or fourth year? I think terms of four-year residency, correct? It is, yeah. So the way it works uh, is you do a transitional year internship where you're kind of like a fifth year med student, but now you can write prescriptions and all that jazz. So uh, <laughs> if you match at Walter Reed, they have one uh, TY spot there and uh, two or three at uh, Tripler. Uh, I went to Tripler. I think it's the best one. I'll explain it in a minute. If you go to San Antonio, they have one or two TY spots at San Antonio and one or two at uh, El Paso. Uh, and I, I can't speak for those programs just because I never went there. I saw the TY program at Walter Reed, and I think the one at Tripler is much better. So Tripler, A, you're in Hawaii, and that was one of the most phenomenal years of my life. Um, you know, COVID, they shut things down. I heard it was a lot harder and a lot uh, 
more undesirable, but if you're going to be miserable, why not do it in paradise? Um, but phenomenal place to live, phenomenal BAH rates. Living on base was great for my family. If you're single, you get a ton of money for BAH. You could room up with a lot of people and uh, save a lot of money and you can live on a shack in the beach and be happy. Um, but the program there, their philosophy, at least when I went through it and my understanding, it's still this way is when you're done with TY, you're a tripler, you should be fully confident, fully prepared to basically run your own battalion aid station downrange or run your own, even roll to kind of ER trauma tent. And I would say I felt that prepared. Um, you know, you do a whole month of trauma at a level one center in Queens and Honolulu, which is a fantastic experience. Probably one of the best experiences uh, from a medical standpoint I've ever had in my life. Uh, I miss it to this day. You don't get trauma in dermatology, although you do as a military physician. We can talk about that later. Um, you work the ICU. You get a lot of good, just kind of high acuity, intensive care, surgical stuff. And then you have a lot of electives. So I did some sports med electives, anything that would help me out as like a GMO downfield. Um, that was great. Very procedure heavy. You get two months ER down there. They send you to the uh, tactical combat casualty care course, which is phenomenal. Uh, it was just, I have nothing but great things and great memories from my TY or tripler. After that, you go for the final three years of Walter Reed. Uh, and like I said, that's a phenomenal program. First year is primarily all outpatient clinic based and uh, sprinkled in there's some, some call that you'll take, uh, which, you know, a little bit of inpatient, a little bit of ER stuff. In the second two years, you're branched out all over the place, working at uh, Children's National Medical Center, uh, MedStar, Georgetown, uh, NIH, uh, doing a lot of, you know, two or three uh, surgical rotations. Um, you do derm path. We were very heavy on uh, pathologic uh, diagnostics and stuff like that. So we, we look into the microscope a lot. Uh, it's very broad. The cool thing about dermatology, I, I failed to mention, is that um, you wear a lot of hats. So let's just say, person out there with a lung nodule, you know, you go to your family physician, they listen to your lungs. sounds weird. Uh, and they say, Hey, you got something in your lungs Order radiology. Cool. We radiologist reads it, sees it, sends you to either surgeon, pulmonologist or interventional radiologist, do the biopsy that goes to the pathologist. And then you go to definitive care with oncology. So that's like five different physicians with that patient dermatology. You do all of that yourself you get a patient who has zero workup essentially because no one knows anything about the skin. And again, that's not a knock on, on primary care. It's just, you get a few weeks here or there. Um, whereas we get, you know, 16,000 patient hours on it. Um, but so they come to you with, you know, quote unquote rash or lump, you do your own workup, you do your own biopsy, you read your own slides, do your own surgery, carry out your long-term treatment all by yourself. No one else. Wow. That, that sounds like a lot, but yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I feel like there are two big mysteries uh, for the medical student, and that's the, the two areas that are talked about the least, which is the eye and the skin. We get yeah. very cursory overviews of both of those, you know, like learn about the layers of the skin, some of the basic rashes that you might see, but then when we get into the pathology side, we end up describing the same things over and over again, and then we kind of move on, right? And then it's never talked about again. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. You got to learn general medicine in med school and, you know, the skin's only a little bit of general medicine, uh, but it, it does uh, same thing with the eyes. But I mean, there's a reason that derm and ophthalmology exist and why they're both, you know, four-year residencies. Absolutely. 
So kind of touching on that. So transitional years, you absolutely have to do a transitional year before pursuing dermatology residency, or is this something where you can match dermatology and then you are just assigned to one of the transitional year programs? How does that work? Yeah. So my year, and I think it's still the same, same. Um, it's a pre-select year. So you match into dermatology, uh, but then they just put you in a TY year. So you actually rank all of the TY derm spots. So you would say, I want to do transitional year dermatology at Tripler, which automatically assumes that you want to go to Walter Reed, or you say, I want to do transitional year at Walter Reed or vice versa with San Antonio and El Paso. If you say, I want to do TY derm at uh, El Paso, you're saying, I want to go into dermatology, do my T year, TY year at El Paso and finish my last three years at San Antonio. Okay, perfect. So it, when you're matching, there, there isn't like this uh, transitional year and then you're reapplying. And then if you don't match, then you do a GMO tour. It doesn't look like that. That's correct. If you match, you go all the way through. Perfect. Okay. My next question for you is you were mentioning that uh, dermatology takes calls. So for from the guy who's ignorant to all things dermatology, I was always under the impression that one of the best things about derm is that you didn't have call. It was like the Monday through Friday, nine to five work week. And you're telling me that's not quite true. So I wanted to know what, what does call actually look like for the dermatology resident? Yeah, most of it is, it's very easy. Um, a lot of it is, hey, send me a picture and you can either diagnose it based on the clinician's history in the picture, or you could say, hey, I'll see him tomorrow. Cause you're right, there are very few emergencies in dermatology. However, every now and then you'll get a patient in the ER um, and they'll be like, hey, I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned this patient might have Stevens-Johnson syndrome. They started Bactrim, you know, however long ago, and now they've got kind of their near orthodermic. They've got, uh, you know, some febrile illness, skin pain, stuff like that. So there's actually a study I presented on my IC rotation TY year. So there is, uh, you know, something called skin failure, any organ failure, you get liver failure, heart failure, stuff like that. So you can get skin failure. Uh, and there are multiple forms of that. Uh, toxic epidermal necrolysis is one, um, you know, erythroderma is another one. And of all organs, it has the highest mortality rate. Uh, it's rare, but it has the highest mortality rate because people don't pick up on it. If you're in the ICU, they're caring more about, you know, your pressors, your heart rate, your inputs, outputs, your brain, all that stuff. Uh, and they might miss a little rash because, hey, a rash is a rash. Well, it's a rash until it's not a rash and you're dead. Um, you also get a lot of infectious disease in dermatology. So sometimes you'll get uh, soldiers from overseas coming back with some weird symptoms and some sort of tropical disease of infection. Uh, we saw a lot of leishmaniasis at Walter Reed from guys downrange in the Middle East. Uh, and so you'll, you'll get calls like that all the time. Um, and the cool thing, or at least my own personality, I'll never say no. I will always see a patient if the clinician wants me to see him right there or walk them into my clinic. Um, and because our call volume is not that hard, like let's say is, you know, overnight internal medicine wards or something, I'm happy if, if someone calls me, it's like, I'm not burned out. Like, heck yeah, I'll get into the ER and see something. If it makes that physician's job easier and it makes that patient happy for me, it's worth it for me to walk down for five minutes and say, that's a nothing burger. Or to say, Hey, I know exactly what that is. Let me biopsy it, get you out and I'll see you in clinic next week. That, so, that totally makes sense. Like, Hey, the idea that if you don't have such a high frequency of calls to begin with, that uh, you don't feel burnt out and like, man, I don't want to do this next call, that you're able to actually go down and do it and do it with a little more enthusiasm. I, I mean, that just makes intuitive sense to me. But 
Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think about, um, I, I mean, I knew about them, but I didn't really think about Stephen Johnson syndrome and stuff like that absolutely are emergencies of the skin. Although it's interesting you mentioned skin failure. That was, that's, that'd be the first time I've ever heard of something like that. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're not the first ever not hear about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so to avoid getting to the science hole, because that that is quite interesting. I might do some Googling later on it. Um, you were talking about, I guess it's in kind of the second year of the actual term residency. So I guess that would be technically your PGY3. Um, mm-hmm. so did you kind of like branch out and go to other outstanding hospitals and stuff like that? So I've talked to residents in the past and I've talked to attendings about this too. Um, I, did you feel that was a positive to get outside of the military hospital and move around? Were there any pros or cons or how did you feel about that kind of movement? Yeah. So overall, I would say it's a net positive, you know, it's inconvenient, especially in the national capital region to have to drive everywhere because traffic is so terrible, but uh, you know, you get, you get to do electives that you you want so for me i did a month at the nih and that was a fantastic experience um i I would do that again in a heartbeat um you get to go to children's national hospital so at the time they had a guy he was a former uh, program director walter reed uh, dr scott norton and that guy is an absolute genius Uh, i feel like he knows everything that there is in the world to know about the skin he's a humble guy so he would say no he's still learning which is what i love about him um but he was at the time working there as a pediatric dermatologist and just working with him and seeing amazingly rare diseases. And he would be able to walk in a room and be like, Oh, I know exactly what this is. So stuff like that is great. It's, it's just a good experience, especially in national capital region. There's a lot of former military guys around there and you can work with them and they'll kind of make it more military specific. Uh, there's a retired military dermatopathologist who's pretty big over there. Uh, you can work with him. Um, so like I said, overall net positive, uh, extremely high volume caseload at Walter Reed. So when you go to the civilian places, they're a little slower just because academic medicine is not the most efficient thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's valuable to do, do inpatient experience where you see the homeless population, you know, because Walter Reed, San Antonio, likely not going to see much of that. Um, mm-hmm. But at San Antonio, they have, I think, a two month rotation down in Dallas where they do see that. So again, it's just a you see more advanced diseases um, and more rare infections, bubonic plague, leprosy, stuff like that. One of my other favorite rotations was I got a month off to go take the army's or rather the military's tropical medicine course. uh, And they offer you to go on a two week kind of field trip with them to put that into practice. I didn't get a chance to go because of COVID. Uh, Well, not because of COVID, but because of government mandated shutdowns from COVID. Um, but uh, yeah, phenomenal course. You get a certificate to put on your wall and I don't know, a good pat on the back and confidence booster that you can deploy in a lot of these crazy environments and know a thing or two. That's pretty interesting. So the next question I have for you in terms of residencies um, or in terms of residency. Uh, so the only surgery I knew about dermatology was the Mohs surgery. That's the only thing that I had a clue about. Uh, so I was kind of curious, what other surgeries uh, could somebody going into dermatology expect? And when did those really become emphasis in your residency training? Yeah, good question. Emphasis, probably starting in first year, you do bread and butter, just skin cancer excisions, stuff like that. Um, Mohs micrographic surgery, now called uh, dermatologic surgery and dermatologic, uh, what do they call it? 
MDSO, Micrographic Dermatologic Surgery and Oncology. So it's a specialized field, all things skin malignancies. Um, and, you know, people die of skin cancer. There are some rare tumors out there that are highly malignant and aggressive multi-system diseases where most surgeries, the preferred modality of therapy. Uh, generally, it's in the high 90 percentile that if you undergo most surgery, you're essentially, quote unquote, cured of your cancer. No other field can, can boast that. Um, and you do so we have your bread and butter cancer excisions uh most surgery is cool because it overlaps a lot with plastic surgery you're doing a lot of reconstructions of the face the genitals the hands the feet uh just the other day i had a patient who had a botched procedure by OBGYN for a skin thing and she came to me for the perennial reconstruction essentially um and derm surgery is cool because your patients are generally awake so it's kind of a different feeling for surgery because it's all local anesthesia. However, um, I do in my practice, a lot of regional blocks so we can block a hand, block a foot. You can block the whole face. You can block an ear, stuff like that when you do surgery. So there's a little bit of your anesthesia there. That's kind of high speed knowing your anatomy and, uh, kind of surgical finesse. Um, but we basically stop as soon as it gets to fascia, you know, we're the skin, hair, nails, mucous membranes, and fat experts. Um, we can, we can do, it's in our literature to do muscle biopsies and you can do those in an office setting. Very few dermatologists do them, but you know, I feel comfortable, uh, practicing at a very high surgical volume residency and then moving over here where I'm the only dermatologist. So I'm doing quite a bit of surgery. Then you have the cosmetic aspects. So Botox fillers, blepharoplasties, you know, uh, cosmetic dermatologists also get into, you know, liposuctions and, uh, augmentations and stuff. You can do a lot of laser surgery. Uh, so at Walter Reed, we have the full gamut of surgeries here. I've only got three, um, but we use them quite often. That's a lot of vascular stuff, uh, mostly, but you can do facial resurfacing, varicose veins, laser hair removal. Uh, I've done, I've published some research in, uh, excising tumors with lasers. Um, what else? Yeah, that's, that's really, it. I mean, nail surgery, you know, we're the nail experts. Um, basically, like I said, once we get to fascia, we tend to stop, but anything above that, we, we can perform some form of laser or, you know, classic scalpel surgery on. Okay. And then in terms of residency, is that just sprinkled throughout your residency training or is that something that's more emphasized towards the end or beginning? Both. So when I started, we had as first year derm residents, PGY2, you had two surgery afternoons a week. So I was regularly doing eight surgeries a week, uh, whether they were cosmetic procedures, uh, cancer excisions, uh, scar revisions, stuff like that. Now here, same thing. I've got two, uh, uh, hold on. I just got to exercise, exercise, exercise. Act okay. I'm good. Um, yeah. Hospital sending out alerts practicing, but, uh, yeah, here I've got two surgery afternoons, so I can easily do eight to 10 surgeries, uh, a week. Um, most of them here are either going to be cancer excisions, um, cyst extirpations, cosmetic procedures, or, uh, a whole gamut of stuff, uh, blepharoplasties for eyelids. Uh, and then, like I said, you, you get into, even a little more advanced stuff. Like, uh, you know, I never thought out of residency, I would do perennial reconstructions, but here I am having done one the other day. Oh, 
So actually, I do kind of have a question for this, and I only assume because there are some people that probably that uh, became interested in Durham had a lot to do with aesthetics. So I don't want to overlook that audience um, in terms of like Botox injections and things like that for cosmetic reasons. Do you feel like being in the military, there's uh, more or less of the time that you spend doing those procedures? Or uh, do you feel like you got a fair shake in that particular area of training? Yeah, I think we got plenty of training on it. And I personally got more than most just because I pursued it. Uh, I came into residency thinking cosmetics was stupid and a waste of time. Uh, and that most people doing it were like, you know, pretty young girls who just had body dysmorphic disorder or something. And that's so far from the truth. That's very little of cosmetic dermatology. Most mm -hmm. cosmetic dermatology is, uh, you know, your middle-aged mom uh, or let's say a senator, these people who need to be on TV or a mom who hasn't cared for herself in years because she's selflessly sacrificed herself for her family. And now everyone asks her, why do you look angry all the time? She's like, I don't look angry. It's just my face. You know, they've got volume loss. They've got circles under the eyes from sleep deprivation. They've got all the frown lines just because of sun exposure over time. They didn't stop to put sunscreen on themselves every two hours throughout the day because they have five kids. And so mm -hmm. you can literally help them feel uh, or look according to how they feel. So when you know, some of my most rewarding patients are, yeah, these middle-aged moms that come in like, hey, my kids are in high school. I cry every time someone tells me that, I look angry or upset when I'm not, I just want to look like how I feel. And you can ameliorate that and bring that discordance to a very low level to where they look well-rested. They look refreshed, they look happy, they look more approachable. Same thing, lots of senators, lots of generals who got to go on TV. They'd come to you sometimes and same thing. Like uh, I hate looking like this on TV. Uh, I think public's going to perceive me to be some way. I need to be perceived this way, which matches more of my mission. Please help me. Um, and so, yeah, uh, in the military, you probably do a little less of it, but there's the opportunity to seek it out. Um, and then even here, you know, I'm with the infantry unit mostly, um, but hey, you're still going to have dependents. You're still going to have higher ranking individuals. And of course, you know, the females uh, who are still interested in, in all that cosmetics. I don't know if I buzzed out there because I've received a phone call on my phone, but I declined it. No, we, we still heard you. Um, so yeah, that, that's actually a really valid point that I, I think kind of gets missed. And I think people have some concerns about the DHA without digging into the politics of it, of uh, kind of missing the opportunities to care for dependents and how that can help with the morale of not just the dependent, but the family as a whole and stuff like that. So I didn't even think about that from an aesthetics point of view. So that's really kind of eye-opening for me. Yeah, the, uh, the way it works, at least the way it worked at Walter in the, my practice here, it's like uh, medically indicated stuff. Absolutely, you need a referral to come see me. But if you're going to be paying cash to the hospital, you know, I don't see a dime for cosmetics that I do at the hospital. But if you're paying cash, you don't need a referral. Just set up an appointment. You're paying for it. TRICARE is not covering it. And we'll take care of you. That's fantastic. So kind of uh, next along those lines with patients and stuff in the military, um, you know, you had mentioned skin cancer and skin cancer is, is a really big deal. Uh, and I would imagine, and I'm kind of asking you the question here, uh, the incidence of skin cancer has to be kind of higher in the military population, especially, you know, you being with an infantry unit. Um, is, is that a fair assumption to make? Yep. And there's data behind that. We've got studies published, uh, you know, down in Iraq or Afghanistan, you're working 18 hour days in the hot desert, whatever, uh, yeah, sunscreen's low on your list of survival items that you can carry on your four-day ruck. So, uh, yeah, and then pilots too. Um, you know, there's some data that pilots have higher rates of skin cancer, and we have plenty of pilots in the military. 
So yeah, we see a fair amount of skin cancer. Uh, and then of course in our retired population and all these guys, you know, who knows if Agent Orange actually did something to them or if it was just all the sun exposure in Vietnam, but uh, a lot of older guys um, coming in with skin cancers that we take care of. Okay. So that, that actually kind of leads me to another question, which is it sounds like you're saying that you had higher volume when you were on your military rotations for uh, compared to when you kind of like branched out to uh, some of the other civilian um, sites for training. And then, you know, these higher rates of uh, skin cancer in the military, the ability to still see dependence for things like cosmetics. It almost sounds like maybe uh, like army military training may actually have better clinical training in this regard to the specialty. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So uh, again, I can't speak for the San Antonio program. I'm sure they're squared away, but as far as Walter Reed goes, you know, there are five programs in the national capital region uh, for dermatology and, um, you know, from an objective point of view, everyone's going to be a little biased, I, I presume. But I think uh, that Walter Reed is probably one of the top programs in the nation, both in the educational experience, uh, board pass rates, and just pure volume. Um, if you look at a lot of the dermatology texts out there, for instance, my favorite one, Andrew's Disease of Skin, half the guys that wrote that were prior Walter Reed directors. Uh, so army dermatology has a huge contribution to dermatology as a whole. And that's been the case for time out of a more out of memory. Um, and, uh, I, I would agree if someone were looking at doing dermatology and interested in the military, I would say you have no better place to train than Walter Reed. Now, of course, there's big name programs all over the nation that I can't speak to, you know, all these places in other States that I'm sure maybe just as good, but I can tell compared to a lot of the other civilian programs that we did do a lot of our academics with, uh, we have a strong, very competitive and probably higher volume, uh, program than, than the others. I'm sure that's really reassuring for a lot of people interested in dermatology to hear, especially because one of the big challenges when people like think about whether they're going to do HPSP or do the military, their concern is with their training, like, oh man, well, we always have this healthy young population. So we're going to miss out on a lot of these like sick patients and stuff like that. And time and time again, every time I ask any particular specialty, they're always like, no, that's, that's not actually an issue. That's more fabricated than it is anything, or it's just a fear from people who don't have that exposure. Um, yep. So I, I imagine that's really reassuring yet again to uh, students interested in dermatology, especially army dermatology. Yep. So I guess uh, kind of to get towards the end, because we're, we're wrapping up a lot of the things that I had is uh, firstly, um, any insights you want to share about being an, an attending Army uh, dermatologist that you, know, you, you sit at a pretty high position being a, the chief of your department and stuff like that, if you had any information you wanted to share that we didn't discuss yet about that? Yeah, uh, practice on your own is a breath of fresh air from residency. Residency is amazing, but you get to the point uh, you should get to the point in residency where you're just ready to be out on your own. That means your program prepared you well. It's not a knock on anybody who taught me. Uh, that was actually some advice I got from my guys, uh, my PGY two year. They're like, you should be sick of this place and ready to leave uh, if we did our job right. And I think they did. Uh, so coming out here, very confident in my skills and abilities, um, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of the program that I went through. They prepared me extremely well. It was very rigorous um, and high volume. Uh, military is always looking to put you into leadership roles. So I come here, they want me chief of the department uh, as officer in charge of a couple other specialty clinics, and that's fine. And that's a unique aspect of being in the military is 
leadership. Everyone's looking for you to stand up and do something. Um, I happen to enjoy it uh, just because I'm a sucker for efficiency. So if I see something that doesn't make sense or that's bureaucratic and not necessary, I'm going to put my foot down and say no. You know, I was a college athlete and an MMA fighter, so I kind of like confrontation because it gets things <laughs> done. Uh, I can see where other people who might not have that personality, it might be a little more overwhelming. But for me thus far, it's been nothing but awesome. Uh, I, I want to add value to whatever unit I'm with, uh, as do you know any doctor wants to help people. Well, in the military, part of helping people is leading well. Uh, and I think the military, you can at least have the chance to pursue uh, that ability to make a difference, uh, you know, unique to military medicine here, you know, we were just out in the field all last week, um, doing a field training exercise, you know, my hospital, we are, uh, we're at a regional call point. So if any of these States around us has some sort of massive tornado, uh, you know, apocalypse type, whatever, uh, we can get called on at the drop of a dime to go provide care. At that time, I'm no longer purely a dermatologist. I am a general medical officer, you know, I'm ATLS certified, advanced trauma life support certified, and I'm expected to go save lives, plug wounds and get people, uh, into surgery and, and help them. Um, you do humanitarian missions. Um, you know, my focus here is, you know, our infantry right now, a lot of these guys are deployed to Eastern Europe, uh, rattling saber against some threats over there and encouraging some of our allies. Uh, my job is to ensure that they can do that from a dermatologic perspective. Uh, and then of course, when they're gone, uh, I'm caring for their dependents so that they don't have to worry about them. Uh, you know, a lot of my patients are wives or kids, guys who are deployed and I'll have them Skype in if they can during the meetings that they can be involved and just assuring them like, dude, I I've got this. Like my program has taught me well enough to know exactly what's going on with your you know spouse or your kid. And uh, I'm going to figure it out if I don't know it right now. And I got the means to do that. Um, what else can I tell you about that? Yeah. I, I wanted to come to a place where I was, uh, basically a big fish in a little pond, uh, for that very reason. I, I feel like me personally, I can add value to a organization in that regards. There's nothing wrong with being an academic center, being one of 16 dermatologists, but, um, I'll just make, I guess, more bang for the army's buck. If I'm out there in more leadership roles and kind of a smaller footprint, but a, I guess, value added footprint. So I'm happy to do that where I am. I love, and I can honestly say this, I loved every day going into work during residency. And thus far, I've been here since July. I have loved and look forward to every day coming into work at uh, Orin Army Community Hospital. That's great news. And this is some very, very uh, valuable insights and some thoughts on just practicing the military in general. And I really appreciate that. All right. So that wraps up our episode with Dr. Bowman today. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your time and experiences with us future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair.com. Thanks for tuning in.